You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, friends, and welcome to this edition of the Thirsty Dogs Drink Faster podcast on the SB Nation Podcast Network. I am Paul Hudrick, and I am joined, as always, by Seamus Clancy. We are talking plenty of birds. Uh, we got a 10 and 1 football team, another win Sunday night. We'll definitely break that down from every angle possible. Jalen Hurts looking again like a legitimate MVP candidate yet again. Uh, we're also going to touch a little on the Sixers, the hospital Sixers doing some work. Having some big games, Joel Embiid returned to the lineup, looked pretty damn good down the stretch in a win over the Hawks. James Harden getting ready to return. Touch on a little Flyers who won a hockey game. Big news. Seamus, you were there. We're definitely going to touch on that. Uh, some John Tortorella being John love Tortorella. Um, and don't love that. Yeah, don't love that as much. And a, a little bit more Phillies. It's clearly the doldrums of the offseason, but more Trey Turner chatter, which is exciting, but also kind of all right already with that. But we're going to, of course... Start with the Philadelphia Eagles. They beat the Green Bay Packers 40 to 33. Weird game. Weird first half. Uh, most definitely. They set they tie a franchise record, correct? Or the most rushing yards they've had since what 48, I think it was. Yeah, uh, in the Super Bowl era, the most rushing yards. They pretty wild. Missed uh, pretty the record wild. by 20 or 18 yards or something along those lines. That's crazy. Uh Jalen Hurts sets the franchise record for a quarterback, correct? Uh beats uh it was Vic who held it. Am I Vic right? with a Vic with 130 rushing yards at the Mariclub New Meadowlands game in December 2010. That's wild. So Jalen Hurts again, looking more and more. I mean, you know, Patrick Mahomes is probably going to win it because he's Patrick Mahomes, and that's just the way that goes. And the, you know, Kansas City's really figured things out, and they're playing very good football. But I, I think even betting odds favorites, I believe Jalen Hurts is the second, right? He's second, but it's uh, Mahomes is minus money yeah. at this point. Right, I think he's running away with it. I think we are in kind of a late aughts, early t- 2010s situation with Mahomes here, analogous to the way LeBron James was in the M- in the NBA, where people kind of have to look for excuses not to give mm-hmm. that generational all time great the MVP award. And Hertz was pretty deserving for most of the year. I thought it would take something. It would have taken something truly out of the ordinary to snatch this from Mahomes. I think it would have been a situation where, hey, say the Eagles ran the table, or they were sixteen and zero going into Week Seventeen and rested their guys. I think that would have been a situation where it was so much of an outlier that Hertz needed to win the MVP. Obviously, I don't have an MVP vote, and if I did, that'd be the weirdest friggin' thing ever. <laughs> but I, I think objectively you'd have to go Mahomes here yeah. though. I think how sick would it be if the Eagles for the, there's this weird, I mean, we're getting so off track, but that's, that's the nature of me. Talking. No, yeah. Sure. In 1960, Norm Van Brocklin won MVP. That was the year the Eagles won the Super Bowl or Super, I shouldn't say, I should say the NFL NFL championship Super Bowl didn't exist yet. Delivered Vince Lombardi's only playoff loss at Franklin field. 
But it was like this weird era where like the AP voting was like split in something. So they kind of have an MVP, but they kind of don't have an official MVP ever. It's this really weird middle ground. So I would have liked to have seen the Eagles have this bona fide kind of uh, uncontested MVP one mm. for the first time ever. Uh, yeah, but you know what? To have a guy, I mean, to have a guy who, and I think what makes it so cool about Jalen Hurts is this is this was a guy who I fully admit I had questions about, and I think a lot of people did. I don't think I know a lot of people did. And they still do. Which there, uh, if you have a question, they about took Jalen the, Hurts, now you're yeah. Um, they, they, <laughs> they, they don't, don't believe Hurts. he can win. They don't believe he can win. Apparently. Okay, well that's stupid because he's you know ten and one. But anyway, yeah. um, it's just it's stupid. It's it, it just. At this point, if you're hating on Jalen Hurts, you're just a hater, and that's all there is to it. Um, you're just confirming been, prior takes. Correct. You because he has been everything that that we hoped, and perhaps more at this rate. Um, he's been so good, and again, like MVP caliber good. He's been incredible, and this was just another example of it. And I, I think you and I touched on it before. This idea of people will be, oh well, you know, the running, running's a component of the game. It's something he's very good at. And it helps them win football games. So I do not care. Yards are good. People, yeah. people forget that. It's good to gain yes. yards. 300 total yards and two touchdowns. Thank you very much. Um, I'll take that and I'll run with it. And they, and they win, which is the most important thing. Uh, Miles Sanders. and Miles Sanders is almost having like kind of a sneaky, sneaky great season, right? Like he's been awesome this year. Best season of his career, undoubtedly. Yeah, uh, easily. And he's he has... Been- Eight rushing touchdowns. He had zero last year and had, right. if, and then the previous two years he had nine combined. He already has eight rushing touchdowns this year. I think that his he had ten total in his first three years in the league and has eight total touchdowns this year. He has a legitimate case to be a Pro Bowler like this year, like absolutely a very good one. He's been he's been great this year, and that's going to be a tricky situation in the offseason, You would think. Um, I but- do not expect him to be back. No, I don't either because I think he's going to have a great season and then probably cash in. Someone's going to. I, I think they game. they like using him a lot this year. Let him have his you know big contract year, and then yeah, they're they're going to draft it back on day two next year, which is exactly what I would do. Yeah, no, it's I get it. I get it with the way backs are used in this league, and it's it's this offensive line is so good. Not to say anybody could run behind it, and I think it's pretty clear that Miles Sanders is the most talented back they have uh, yeah. amongst the guys they have. But yeah, I, I, and especially like you're, if it's a choice between paying Jalen Hurts and Miles Sanders, that's not a choice at all. Like that's, that's yeah, just the I, reality of the situation. And and you have a lot of listen. Th- th- there are a lot of other guys who are getting paid a lot of money on this team. Howie is is one of, if not the best, at finding ways to work around that and and to sneak guys in and you know having guys get upfront money in order to, to help them on the back end and yada yada. He's very good with that. But at the same time. You can't pay everybody. There is a salary cap, and it's you, you have to figure out ways to, to get things done. So, um, yeah, like I think a lot of running backs, if they have some semblance of talent and vision and patience, can have fringe pull Pro Bowl years if they're running behind this offensive line and they have Jalen Hurts as a threat as a runner, too. So, I would sure. say I'm definitely more in the miles skeptic I have been for his career. Obviously, he's produced better than he, than he ever has this season. Yeah, hats off to him. But I think you could plug a lot of guys into this situation and see them have uh, success that when it's necessarily that Miles has had this year, but pretty close for uh, while not as allocating as many resources as they would need to do so for Miles to come back next year. And I would or I would say too, um, 
I mean, I'm of the camp that actually I, I think he's pretty damn like I think he's good. Like I, I think he's legitimately a good back in this league. But you it's the way the running back position is in the NFL. This is the way you have you almost this is almost the way you have to do it, right? Like I, I think you're right. Like probably a day two guy, and with the draft this year likely being so quarterback heavy, um, and already the devaluing of the running back position, you'll probably get a pretty damn good back. Um, on day two and a guy that you can plug in right away uh, that fits your offense that, you know, can they clearly serious and every team really values a running back who can catch the football out of the backfield. I would be very interested to see what they do because that's not all you're going to do, right? Like you're going to have to get some type of veteran uh, as one, an insurance policy and as to a compliment to that to said rookie. But you look at like what, what, you know, with Vegas, with Josh Jacobs and kind of like, you know, the way he started off as his career, just, you can bring guys in, plug them in, and have them be every down backs immediately. That's just the nature of the position now, and that's where you get the most value out of it. So, uh, Blake Corum, Michigan, come on down. Yeah, sure, great. Um, but I mean, there, there, you know, there's probably a handful of backs you can look at and be like, yeah, this guy, you could probably plug him into the Eagles offense right now, and he could probably get a thousand yards right now. It's like that. I mean, that was that's not to knock Miles Sanders, but yeah, when Miles gets hurt, that's when they switched that super run heavy attack, and it was Bosco and Jordan Howard, and they were running like they were right. pre World War II offense. So I think, right, yeah, again, giving Miles all the credit in the world for the seasons he's had this year, but I do think there is ample evidence that they can have not just a very yeah. good but close to historically great rushing offense, even if he's not in there, right. And they've done so well, and you you got to give Howie Roseman credit for the way, and Jeff Statlin for the way they develop guys. Because I mean, now it, can Jeff no. Statlin get in the Hall of Fame as an offensive line coach? I don't he think should. that's a thing. But yeah, but it, it should be. He'll probably get like an Eagles Hall of Fame thing, right? Like that's probably got to happen because yeah, just, I know Jim Johnson's in there, so I imagine, I imagine Andy Reid one day will be in there once he retires. Um, but I, yeah, I almost Statlin almost has to get in there just because. Like is Monte Kiffin from the. In the Hall of Fame, as a I don't like, I don't think there are any assist. I think it's all head coaches in the Hall of Fame. I could be mistaken on that. I don't think there are any assistants. Nah, Monty Kiffin nice. would be an interesting one, yeah. But I mean, that's you have to look at the guys that changed the game. Like I think he would be in there. Yeah, you know, uh, the assistant coach in NFL. Yeah, it's football Fame, but I'm gonna say no. Nah, no, nah, I don't think so. So I think it's just head. Even I feel like head coaches, it takes. A pretty good amount. It's right? rare. It's it, I'd yeah, say it's, like, it's it's really hard. Like again, Andy Reid probably gets in eventually. No, I think he's definitely football in. Hall of Fame once once he retires. You win a Super Bowl, and that that seems to help. You win a. I, I feel like the criteria for coaches is win a Super Bowl, but and then also have like a a a, a, a measure of success, right? Like I think Vermeil just recently got in, um, and he won a Super Bowl and had two successful stints with two different teams. So maybe that's like the criteria, you know, just a, a long amount of success with at least one Super Bowl feels like how do you get in. But the Eagles are 10 and one and a tough contest. I think one of the, you were really good in scouting this game against the Packers because you were really worried about the rushing attack. And I think that reared its head early on. Aaron Jones and, and AJ Dillon were both really, really good. And they're both really, yeah. really good backs. They have a really Dylan good offensive that, line as well. Yeah. Dylan had that 20 yard touchdown run you know, burst through the hole, got through a couple guys. And that was one of those things like, damn, uh, Jordan Davis, once again, activated to be able to practice, which was today. We're obviously recording on Wednesday afternoon. So practice window is back for Jordan Davis today. Uh, they will 
very much need him if they have struggled with again all these guys are very good do they play a good they they play a good running back this weekend i'm not sure do they they play the best running back of his generation on sunday i would say that i would say he's it's, I think it's going to be increasingly rare to see running backs in the Hall of Fame, the way kind of continue on that yeah. theme. We're talking about assistant coaches and NFL coaches. Derrick Henry is the guy that strikes me that will be in uh, camp. First bout. Yeah, first bout. He's 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 a monster. Um, So that's, yeah, they're clearly going to have their hands full with that. I'm curious how... I'm curious how it goes. Um, Just so curious how it goes. And now they're obviously... The defense took a hit uh, with C.J. Gardner-Johnson. Um. Bring Malcolm Jenkins injuries. back. That's that's the that's the hot rumor, right? We'll get we'll get, but I but I'm curious. So the the they're saying like six weeks ish, I believe. Is that was that what I'm hearing on CJ yeah. CJ Gardner Johnson? Um six weeks ish. And then Malcolm Jenkins, I I think he said it would take like he would it probably wouldn't be until like it would basically be a couple weeks before he would even be able to even consider it. So like I don't know how well that line listen. You won't find I have a Malcolm Jenkins Super Bowl jersey sitting in my closet right now. You will not find a bigger Malcolm Jenkins fan than the guy that you're talking to right now. I am an enormous Malcolm Jenkins fan. And if he comes back just for the nostalgia of it, I will be super stoked. I mean, they need to help on special teams too. He was an elite special teamer. While I mean, he was playing almost every offensive, I'm sorry, defensive and special team snap. Even when he was in his peak form and making Pro Bowl teams uh, in that 2017, 2018, 2019 era. And I guess he would be the way that Gaddon has used uh, Gardner Johnson. It would Malcolm Jenkins could make sense and actually make it be maybe even be a little bit more versatile in a weird way because he's just. I mean, Malcolm Jenkins was playing like dime linebacker. Um, yeah, right. By the time by the time he was done here, like he was so versatile, he was playing everywhere. So maybe you throw him in here. Maybe you could. I mean, um, Blankenship looked pretty damn good. Uh, I have to say. I mean, I, I was pretty. He looked impressed. good in camp. He, he looked good I heard in he camp good this camp, summer. Right. He did have a good camp in the summer, and I think that got kind of under the surface. Hey, this guy's—it's a safety from Middle Tennessee State. Right. He's probably just whatever, but he definitely deserved to play this season in terms of just getting on the field. And uh, if you looked at training camp, uh, if you're looking at. You know, Kayvon Wallace in comparison, not even close. He was better yeah. in the camp. And uh, Kayvon's only played a little bit this year. And he's only a fourth-round pick. You can't really call those guys type of guys a complete bust. Yeah. But very clearly, when he got on the field this year, they've had injuries at different points. And I think the Minnesota or Dallas game, one of the safeties went down. And it was clear that he's just not up to up to par for this, for this level. But Reed came in, held his own, uh, makes an unbelievable – jump on the ball on that one Aaron Rodgers interception. I think as it was happening, it's it's a shame where I could say if I could see the interception happening before it happened, then everyone on the field and on the sidelines could do that too. It was very clear that ball was getting picked off and Reed was reading it, pun not intended, perfectly. Mm-hmm. Had some other plays that didn't go great, but I think that's a net positive performance. It shows he's a gamer. He's not yeah. scared of the he's not scared of the moment. Took a bad and, angle on the Watson touchdown. Uh, yeah, but I can't. So it wasn't perfect. Yeah, you can't kill the guy for it. I'll, I'll say, you know what I like about him, and it's something that I think is what makes TJ Edwards so good. You know, both guys obviously undrafted after you know a lot of college production. They're not 
the most athletic. They're not the fastest, but they play fast, right? Because yeah. they're smart. They're instinctive. They know the defense so they can play fast. And I think that's what I saw with Blankenship more than anything. He had that one really nice play. I think it was, was it on um, Aaron Jones where it was a tackle for a loss where yeah. he found them on that. So like, that's again, that's instincts. And that's just like, not very good football IQ. Right. Like you don't have to think out there. You just play, you play fast. Like I, I know my, like, Growing up, we were told if you're like if you don't know what you're doing, just hit somebody. And I think he kind of encompasses that as yeah. well as TJ Edwards. Like just fly to the football and find it and, and hit somebody. Like, and I think that's what makes both of those guys, considering you know their background is not be having like you know not coming from well, at least in 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 Blankenship's case, not coming from an like a powerhouse college and being undrafted. That's how you get on the field is is by being smart and, and knowing the defense. So. I was encouraged by his performance. With that said, would I mind a former Super Bowl championship, a former Pro Bowl caliber safety coming here and 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 playing? No, I, I would not mind that at all. It's worth a shot. What do you got to lose? You already signed two guys in their mid-30s to play defensive tackle for you. Why not sign a guy in his late 30s to play safety? Um, how I don't even know how old Malcolm is now. I'm going to guess 37. Like 37 feels right. Me and him are the same age. That's something. Look at Malcolm. Yeah, you look it up because I by the time I I figure it out, but yeah, I mean I did I think the defense thirty uh, turns thirty five in oh, December, wow. December, but he has a lot of miles on there. I he think. does have a lot. We, of miles. we talked about how I think in two or two and a half years he didn't miss a defensive snap to the team. He's playing a lot, a lot of snaps. Played in a lot, a lot of playoff games, both for New Orleans and Philadelphia. Yep. But uh, so he'll be and fresh a, now. And if, in the third safety role and a heavy special teamers role, which is, you know, it's hilarious when one said like, oh, there's three facets of the game, like special teams is equivalent to offense or defense. And I think it's special teams isn't going to win the Eagles any games this year, but I think I they could them. lose them a game. Exactly. Yeah, you want to just be respectable. You don't need to have this, you know, Chip Kelly error, this weird emphasis on special teams more than you actually had on defense and other facets <laughs> of the game. Right. But I think there needs to be some middle ground there. And I, I think the idea that they would fire special teams coordinator Michael Clay in the middle of the season when they're 10 and one is hilarious. They would never do that. Uh, and Nick Sirianni's post game press conference on Sunday, I was there. There was a question about the special teams. Obviously, it wasn't great on Sunday again. It's becoming a recurring thing, recurring theme. And I think it sh- really should scare Eagles fans that come the playoffs, someone's going to have a great return. It's the fourth quarter. The Eagles are up 24-20 in the fourth quarter. They're punting, and a guy has a 57-yard punt return. Sets the other team up in easy scoring position. That can really, really happen. And it's one of those things where you don't need the special teams to win your games. You just need them not to lose games. Well, I just and, I was going to say, speaking of the Chip Kelly era, I have nightmares of Darren Sproles for the Saints. Uh, yeah. Big oh, kick yeah. return, just, setting that up, and yeah. basically that loss in I the mean, game. Yeah, and that, that could easily happen this, this season, I think. And yeah. it could go down the drain because they have guys who – aren't competent enough uh, special teams players. And I get that they have really strong depth at a lot of positions. And, but I don't think they were necessarily taking guys on uh, at the back end of the roster this year, specifically for special teams purposes. And again, if we're talking this much about fucking special teams with a 10 and one team, <laughs> that's great. a really good sign for the other. Well, fast sure. Team that like the offense and defense are doing performing so well enough that they have the best record in the league, their own kit. Pace to have home field advantage throughout the postseason, and we're just bitching about the special teams. Yeah. I think that's a good sign for the team overall. But you have to complain about something. This is Philadelphia, and there are <laughs> and there are legitimate uh, it's, gripes. Yeah. There are legitimate gripes about it. And Jake Elliott's been good. Uh, he hits that fifty-four yard field goal, missed an extra point earlier. That sucked. If he hits that extra point earlier, 
The Eagles went 41 33. <laughs> Which is just fun, sure. Uh, but I think the concerns are are certainly warranted. Yeah, when you when yeah. you look at because it because it can lose you a game and it hasn't been very good. And they're not gonna like you said, they're not gonna make a change that would be absurd. But I do wonder if maybe when it gets when the game is anything else, sign a guy off a street that can do returns. Devin Allen, people yeah. talk about him doing returns. He didn't take a single like no. return snap in a uh, rep, I should say, not snap in special in, in training camp. He's not yeah. going to be a returner. Maybe you can put him out there and he could be a gunner, you know, Vince Papali style out there, yeah. just speeding down there and making something happen, making plays. I think that's worth a shot rather than whatever they're doing now. Britton Covey. I was very in on Britton Covey just in the sense that. His name, the name on the back of his jersey isn't Reger. I thought that was a step up. And he had a couple of fumbles earlier in the year, but it seems to stabilize. But he goes two or three yards and gets looks like he's every bone in his body is about to break whenever he gets hit. I need to do something else. I, I made a take on Twitter that people got mad about. It wasn't even supposed to be takey. It's that Devontae Smith, I should be, I think should be taking more punt returns than he has. He's done it in warm-ups before games, and they've still gone to Britton Covey. I think he has taken a couple during the season itself. But if he's your number two wide receiver, and I don't think he's getting the ball enough offensively relative to what his talent and playmaking level is, and that's not his fault, nor is it really fault of coaching staff. It's just the nature of their offense they're in. And we saw Dallas Goddard be such a huge part of this team when he was healthy. So in reality, if this team's at full strength, Devontae Smith's the number three target in offense uh, in the passing offense when this offense also has a huge reliance on the running game. So why not try to have this guy who's – I really believe is an elite playmaker. It wasn't a slight to Devontae that I think he should be doing punt returns. It's the complete opposite. Get this guy the ball more. And maybe it's just a situation where, hey, you can't be doing it in the second quarter of a game against the Saints when they're already 15 and one or whatever it is. But I think a situation where they're doing it in the playoffs or it's the Dallas game on Christmas Eve or Christmas if it gets flexed and it's the fourth quarter and it's a one score game, the Eagles are down by three, there's three minutes left. Put that guy back there. You take the shot that he could do, make some magic happen. Doesn't have to, you know, go full Brian Westbrook, Deshaun Jackson miracles at the Meadowlands, but just to have some juice and pick up a 15 yard return that can make the whole difference. Uh, it can single handedly change a game of special teams play. I think that happens. I, I think 100% when the playoff. It really needs to. Yeah. That's the uh, only like t- really strong take I have about this team right now in terms of how to fix something that's not yeah. working. Because I think most things are working. Right. I think, but they, they've done it right. Like, there's been a couple. He's had a couple punt returns. He's had a couple this year, yeah. Right in big spots. So I think, I think, well, so I think that I, I think that's certainly going to happen. Whether it is like you said, the Dallas game, or maybe that is that could be a potentially big game for seeding or whatever, and they get down and they need a spark and they go to him for sure. Certainly, when the playoffs start, I would probably have him taking all of them. I would. In the, in the I, I would say it's malpractice to have Covey back there in the yeah. playoffs over him. I get concerns about injuries. He's a frail. He's not. I wouldn't say frail, but he's a smaller figure guy. Yeah. He's, he's a slim reaper for a reason. He's a skinny guy. But you have guys. If you're worried about getting hurt, then why even play one offense at the point? You, you have these guys. I get it in the regular season. I get the injury concern in the regular season. If you're coming to the postseason, you're worried he's getting hurt. Why are they even playing then? Like guys get hurt. You need to win playoff games. The whole goal of trading up for a player like Devontae Smith is to get the ball in his hands and have him make these electric plays. If you're not going to do that in the postseason, what's the point of anything? No, I'm with you. No, I'm with you 100%. He needs to be the guy. And I would say to your earlier point, maybe it would behoove the team as well to sneak some more regular 
contributors on the offensive defense into their special teams coverages as well. You might need it. You really might because need it, come, especially come playoff time. Right. Yeah. You might just need more talented players. If it's not coaching and you say it's not, then you then it's then it's a talent issue. Um and so maybe you need more talented players to be playing special teams um when it comes to the playoffs. So maybe that's maybe that's the case. Maybe that's it, it, you know what and if that's what Sirianni is thinking with a 10 and 1 football team, I think that's pretty smart. Why yeah. do it now when, you know, you can you, you've you've overcome it to this point, I would say. You know, and like you said it hasn't it you're not going to win a game because you're special teams, but you certainly could lose it and so far that hasn't happened. They weren't very good in the Washington game, but I, you know, the defense was the much larger issue yeah. Um, yeah. in that game. So, and the off and quite frankly the offense. I mean, they bit them, you know, they 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 you know, shot themselves in the foot so many times in that game on, on the offensive end that, you know, special teams only matters because of that. So yeah, if that's the strategy, I, I I'm on board with that. Save those, save those bullets for the, for the, for the postseason. Now, like you said, if, if, if Britain Covey's back there returning the first punt in the first playoff game, that's bad. That, that would be bad coaching in my eyes that, that there needs to be an upgrade at that point. And I think Devonte Smith just absolutely makes the most sense. Defensively, the run game is obviously that, that that continues to be an issue. You have the best running back in the league, as you already mentioned, coming into town. What I mean, other than Jordan Davis, is there anything else they can do? Like what? Because like, it seemed like to me against Indy, Joseph and Sue helped, right? Like they they did a pretty good job. They helped this team. They, you know, John Taylor goes nuts on the first drive. Really does nothing else the rest of the entire game. They shut down that rushing attack. Is there anything else they can do, or is it just guys need to play better? Like, where are we on the run defense? Defensive coordinator Jonathan Gannon has really constructed the back seven of his defense to play the pass, which I think is exactly what you should be doing in the NFL in 2022. The issue is there, even guys that have played really, really well, CJ, I think, is a pro bowler this year, playing safety, not a tackler, not a player like that, not Malcolm Jenkins. You have Kaiser White, who I think has had a decent year, pretty good year, had a really strong summer at linebacker, more of a coverage guy than a guy that's this old school playing the box. TJ Edwards, a little bit better at all of that, but still not this elite player, though I think he's had a very good season. And we've talked a lot about how him coming along as an undrafted player and the, the team developing him over two different regimes and him becoming this player is outstanding for the organization. They just don't have a lot of guys who are great tacklers and once the and that that issue has persisted all year and it happened last year and you saw it in the Lions game and people were, were complaining like oh they don't they don't have enough hard hitting practices in the in the summer and that's why they suck tackling against the Lions in week one they gave up like thirty five points or whatever it was so once you take out Jordan Davis this guy who might already be the best run stuffing defensive interior lineman in the league everything else that's already kind of bad gets magnified and becomes that much worse to me. I wonder Reed Blankenship, uh, not Brian Dawkins, not Cam Chancellor, but he does have a little bit of an edge to him. I wonder if he could. I think Derrick Henry has some size on him still. Yeah. But uh, you're going to need some different fronts, and Eagles fans should be hoping as much as they can, putting I don't know, wearing their sweatshirt inside out to bed at night, <laughs> hoping that Jordan Davis is back for this game. And again, I'd feel if I were an Eagles fan, feel even worse. It wasn't for the presence of Joseph and Sue, and I think they can still have an impact. They didn't; they weren't as uh, clear of the impact this past week against the Packers. The same way it was really present and evident against Indianapolis. But you need all the bodies you can get when you're playing a running back like Derrick Henry, 
both in terms of just his production as a guy who could on any season conceivably have like an 1800 yard rushing season and a guy with that physical profile that even if you tackle him for a five yard gain physically it's going to feel like he gained 12 yards right and i i'd say too um you know you're playing ryan Tannehill this week yeah you don't need to play that certainly helps you don't need right to play like that. that certainly helps like you're not uh, granted aaron Rodgers is not having an aaron Rodgers year he's really struggling he's clearly hurt um Jordan Love was the better but, quarterback for Green Bay. In some way. Actually, might, might be kind of true. I, I mean, mean the, the injuries are, play a factor. In right. If, and if I'm the Packers, I probably would sooner get a look at Jordan Shut Love. Shut him down. Than, Shut him down. Yeah. I, I and well, I, I don't even think that's a quote. I mean, the guy clearly has his ribs. He couldn't even throw the football. His ribs are so banged up. His hand is all messed up. Like, just take – like you're and Aaron Rodgers is legit like 37, 38. Like, dude, 30, this turns 39 next week. So it's looking up. Yeah. There you go. I won't ask why you know Aaron Rodgers' birthday off the top of your head. Well, because then I'm running during the week. I'm like Aaron Rodgers is in his age 39 season. You. you know what I mean? Stuff like that. I got right? you. I did not I did not peg you for a Aaron Rodgers stand at all. Um uh pre like 2021, sure. I was. <laughs> The last year or two, I've kind of distanced myself. Where sure, sure. Uh, he was my one of my favorite quarterbacks to watch yeah. ever, for sure. You're not not a fan of Atlas Shrugged, not on your not on your bookshelf. Yeah, I think he might have he might have diverged a little bit in some of the off the field stuff with him over the years that might have seemed a little off. Makes a lot more sense mm-hmm. in retrospect. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Uh, he needs really fun, I mean, really fun to play, really fun to watch in like 2015. Yes, <laughs> yes indeed. Uh, and on that note, we'll probably take a break. But the Eagles, obviously, big game against the Tennessee Titans this uh, Sunday. We'll be back next week to wrap it up and talk more about it. But we're going to take a quick break. On the other side, we're going to talk some Sixers, a little Flyers, a little Phillies. But we're going to take a break on the Thirsty Dog String Faster podcast. We'll be right back right after this. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. We're back, and we are talking your Philadelphia 76ers, who, by all accounts, should not have had a very interesting week last week with Joel Embiid, with James Harden, with Tyrese Maxey, all out. Should not have been that interesting of a week. Yet it was. Shake Milton. Shake Milton looked like 2019-20 Shake Milton. Actually, he's looked even better because he has been sensational as a point guard running the offense. Uh, Joel Embiid came back on Monday against the Hawks. Shake still looked pretty damn good. And Joel Embiid was just an absolute monster down the stretch of that game. I scored, we wound up with 30 points, kind of, you know, had to feel his way out there a little bit in the end, but then, then he makes, you know, fade away over to Jante Mary, 
comes back down the other end, breaks up a lob from from Trey Young to Clint Capella to seal it. He was a monster. Tobias Harris has had a couple, uh, you know, really good games over the last week. He's been outstanding as well. They're five and two over their last seven. They're three games above five hundred all of a sudden. And it's uh for me, I do not give a shit about the records, especially in the NBA this early in the season. Who the hell cares? It doesn't matter. I think the Bulls were the one seed at this point last year and, and for a, a good chunk of, of the first quarter of the season. But with that said, everything the, the Sixers have gone through to start this season, they're like the fourth seed. They're only a game out of, of the third seed, and they play Cleveland on Tuesday night, who, who is the current third seed. So it's so funny to me that for everything going on with the Sixers, for all some of the hand-wringing that has been done, they're like right in the thick of everything. You know, Boston and Milwaukee are Boston and Milwaukee. They're great. And they've been, well, Milwaukee hasn't been healthy. They've actually been pretty banged up and they're still playing excellent because they have this guy named Giannis Antetokounmpo who's pretty good. But what's your kind of biggest takeaway from the hospital Sixers uh, over the past week or so? It has to be Shake, right? He averaged, I think, 23, 7, and 8 over the week in those four games last week when the Sixers go 3 and 1 in those games. And I like what you hit on the point. It feels reminiscent of how he played during that 2019-2020 season. And he had a very defined role that year as the gunner off the bench. And then some injuries happen and the COVID break happens. He's really a rhythm player to me where if he gets consistent reps, that's when you see success from him. And he really wasn't able to find that in 2020. Like the reasons I said, 2021 season comes, has some injury stuff. And then Tyrese Maxey kind of... Uh, you know, serves him as the main young bench guard who's taken those reps from him. Last season, similar things happen. Obviously, Tyrese becomes this budding star for the team the way maybe other people had very, very optimistically hoped Shea could have been. But if he's playing like this, obviously he's not averaging 23 points a game the rest of the season. But if the situation where you finally feel confident they have a really nice creator off the bench as a guy who could dribble, shoot. I think he shot 50% from three last year. Last oh, 50% week. over his last seven games, yeah. Yeah, last <laughs> week. And and the way that you had said, his playmaking skills look better than ever functioning as more of a true, true point guard, or at least not true point guard, a multifaceted point guard who could both shoot, score, pass, and playmake. It's a rarity in Philadelphia to have all those things happening at once. So if they're able to harness this version of Shake off the bench consistently over the next the rest of the season, I'm not saying he's an Owen six man of the year, but could be a really, really key contributor come the playoffs when the rotation gets uh, shrunk to maybe eight or nine guys. Well, I'll tell you the good news. Doc Rivers really likes Shake. So if Shake is playing well, he's going to play Shake. So that's a good thing for the Sixers. Uh, and Doc just will sing his praises, sung his praises the day he arrived and has done it ever since. You touched on a couple important things, and I actually, for my national piece this week for SB Nation, I actually wrote about Shake. That's even though it's Sixers related, I, I did it for the big site this week because I think it is an interesting story. And we're all guilty of this. We're all guilty of being reactionary prisoners sure. of the moment, all those things. Like, that's just the way it is right now with Twitter in, in 2022 and, and, and the way we react to sports with everything so on demand. It's not that Shake Milton became a bad basketball player between <laughs> between the last two seasons. Like, that's not what happened, right? The one thing you touch on, you're absolutely right. And I definitely feel like he's a guy who needs the ball in his hands. It's a rhythm thing, certainly with him. The other thing I would point out in that year, 2020, Shake has always been a pretty, like, affable guy. Like, you know, soft-spoken, mild-mannered, 
always a good dude, like always, always gives good answers when he can. And, you know, uh, but you could tell there was something off about him when they came back for the bubble. And I actually distinctly remember the Joe thing. He it, no. So he it, there was that. But before that, he specifically said before they even got to the bubble. He said he didn't think they should be playing the bubble. He said he didn't think it should happen. Oh, the pandemic, of course, that. but he also said because of what was going on, you know, the civil unrest in the country, the everything, you know, we were fresh off um, the, the murder of George Floyd and what happened in Minneapolis. And Shake is a guy who grew up in Oklahoma. He grew up not far from Tulsa, where the Tulsa race massacre occurred in 1921. And like, that's something that he during that time was posting a lot about. And like, clearly it had an enormous effect on him. And it, it's, it's good that he gives a shit. Exactly. And I I think that all the, and this isn't like, you know, whenever I say this, you know, this like this is not a critique of guys. These guys are human beings. I don't care how much money they make. I don't care what yeah, they do for yeah. a living. Yes, they are yes, people. Um, and so when stuff happens like that, sometimes it's going to affect people with Embiid. We found out later um, his partner was pregnant. With their yeah. with their son while this pandemic was happening, and he was going to have to go into a bubble while his pregnant wife was back in Philly. Like, so of course he didn't want to go. Like, wh like why would he want to go and be away from her? Like, of course. Um, and then you know with Shake, you know he is a a young black man living in this country with what was going on. So of course he didn't feel right. Of course he had other things on his mind when this was happening. So, um, and and you could just see it in him. Like he was he was short with the media. You you mentioned the, the the incident, him and Joel Embiid. I think like how could you not take away that those two guys didn't want to be there? And in the first game, they get in a, in, a, in a disagreement and it gets caught on the camera. Like it's it's stuff boiling over. Which again, we're all human beings. We all sometimes take things that happen to us in ways we feel, and sometimes it happens and we bring it to the workplace. It happens to people. It is what sure. it is. It's a function of, of being a human being. So I, a very long way to say, I think that really affected him that year. Injuries were a huge component of that too. He's been hurt the last two years on and off. You hit the nail on the head. They get Tyrese Maxey at 21, who when you draft a player at 21st overall, you don't expect them to become Tyrese Maxey, a borderline all-star player. And for it to happen so quickly, that's not the expectation for a guy drafted so late, but that happens. You also trade for this guy named James Harden, who has won an MVP in this league, who is a high-usage basketball player. You get those two guys, and then Shake has injuries. It's just, it, it happens. So I, I say all that to suggest, like, Shake Milton, again, did not just become a bad basketball player. He's always been a good player. He's just getting an opportunity to show it. And this is the challenge for Doc Rivers now. James Harden is coming back next week. It looks like that was uh, Shams reported. I, I, the team source told me as well. Like that's the goal. He is planning to come back and play against Houston in Houston on December 5th, next Monday. Uh, so he'll be back in the lineup. I was there the other night. Tyrese Maxey's already out of the walking boot in a couple of weeks. He'll probably be back too. So the question I have for you is how does this look? When that comes, when when James Harden is back, when Tyrese Maxey is back, and you have all these mouths to feed, Doc Rivers referred to it as a good problem, and I would agree. It's a good problem to have, having too many players that you think are good and deserve the basketball. But how do you think that looks when everyone returns? 
it's weird they have four guards who are playable come April and May in Harden, Maxie. Now, Shake, it seems really clearly is that. And Melton, I think, has been very good this year. Maury's best move of the offseason without a doubt. And then you look at the situation on the wing that is so, so piss poor, uh, where the, the depth is non-existent and, you know, the P.J. Tucker not scoring thing is just a meme that's gone out of control and I see both sides of it. But, you know, still, it's it's not great to score zero points in a basketball game sometimes, I would say. And I'm not yeah, saying there needs to be a, a move that needs to be happen or happen. And we've seen James Harden battle injuries in his career. And who knows how healthy he is come April and May in a situation he's already hurt this year. He's had that nagging hamstring injury that I think slowed him down in, in his the end of his Brooklyn tenure and carried over a bit to the beginning of the Sixers tenure. Good problem to have. But at the same time, like we're saying with Shake. Guy who functions best and he has a very clear-cut role. And I loved everything you said about Shake. Honestly, just throwing the cards on the table, have a newfound appreciation of him, truly, after everything that you said. Uh, but I don't know what they do. The guards all do somewhat similar things. Melton's probably more the outlier there in terms of how the other three guards function, whereas he's more of a two-way player. Those guys are uh, offense first, second, and third um, in terms of Maxi, Shake, and, and James. But I don't know what they do. But right now, figure out the rotations. Time to experiment with some lineups. Do some three-guard lineups. Whether, you know, I think Melton really needs to be in there and those three-guard lineups for defensive purposes. But just, I mean, this isn't necessarily Doc Rivers' forte, but get funky with it. It's, it's November, and no one gives a shit what the team's record is in January <laughs> and February. They care if they won more than one playoff series come May. No, you're absolutely right. And it it. I'm very interested to see the combinations of players because what I saw against the Hawks is this. Joel B likes playing with Shake Milton. Like it was evident. Like they and he's like he's not he has not made a secret about that either. He enjoys playing with Shake. So to me, I almost wonder if you have to stagger it like this. And I think it would work. James Harden and Maxi play together. I get that there is a, a notion that people want. Shake to or excuse me, Tyrese to run his own unit, and, and that's where he seems to flourish. And I get all that, but I also think that Maxi has played really well off of James Harden. And with Shake playing so well with, with Joel, I could see lineups where it's, it's it's Milton and Milton and Embiid, and that's kind of like that's the three that guys that's, that's kind that's of play the tongue together. twister there. Yeah, I know Milton Milton is is brutal. Um, poor dad, but, in but it's just and then and so that there's an interesting kind of thing happening there, but then to your point. Do you maybe have to play more Harden with Melton because of the defensive component? And you're going to need an elite defensive guard. To He's kind the of glue play. guy there, right? And I do think three guards is is an option. Doc talked about that. That he, he you know he does anticipate that he might be playing some three guard lineups, whether that's Melton, Milton, Maxi, eh? or <laughs> Melton, Milton, and Harden, or some variation of that, where you have to kind of mix those guys up. Because I agree, your wing depth is not great. Uh, you talk about Melton being the, the best offseason addition. I would agree. The Daniel House addition, not looking as good, um, frankly. And and I I was a fan of it when they made it. Most pro wouldn't happen, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like he, he looked really good down the stretch for Utah. He looked really good in the playoffs against for Utah um, against Dallas. I thought he had a, a pretty good run there. But we have not seen that. And I think sometimes when it's him and Paul Reed, there's just – a lot of chaos with those two guys on the floor at the same time. And Paul Reed's chaos has been better than, 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 than it's been, it's been more good than bad. I would say recently, Paul Reed. 
Um, he's actually played excellent uh, to me, and it, it's clear that he is the backup center. He was the other night, and I think that's got to be the deal going forward, whether Montrez Harrell is happy or not. That's just, I think, the the, the the what gives you the best chance to win is Paul Reed being the backup center. So I just think Doc's going to have a lot of interesting choices to make. Like you said, this is not necessarily where he excels, Doc, in the past, where where you have to get a little bit funky and a little bit creative, but I think he's going to have to do it because Shake's playing too well to not play him, and your wing depth isn't good enough where I think Shake, let's shake six five, right? Like shakes and shakes got a long wingspan. He's not a guy you want guarding wings for, you know, you don't, you don't want him guarding certain wings. Like you don't want him guarding like Paul George or Kawhi Leonard or something like that, but you could take a, 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 a wing assignment here and there and, and be okay with it. And the other guy we haven't even mentioned, or I guess I mentioned him a little bit, but Tobias Harris has been really good too. And so where does he kind of fit in? Um, I, I think with the one thing I, I, have respected and really liked about Joel's game recently is when Tobias has a mismatch or when Tobias has had it going on, he's feeding him. He's saying like, no, like take, take this guy, do your thing, back him down, shoot a little fadeaway over top of him all day. Like that's easy money for us. So I, I respect that Joel has been like that. And I think there are avenues to where Joe, Joe, like it can all work, but it's just, they have to figure it out. And I, cause I think Harden is not afraid to share the basketball. Tyrese Maxey's not afraid to share the basketball. And I think Joel has shown a willingness to share the basketball. They can all play off each other, but they all have to figure it out. So I think that's going to be a little funky going forward. I want to go to another coach who's had some issues mixing things up, and that is John Tortorella and the Philadelphia Flyers. You were there. Great seats, you yes. know, pal. Great seats. Uh, saw Got two another, fights. A little hook up. Yeah, a few seconds in. Hey. That's that's how I get good seats ever is hookups. I don't actually I can't afford anything. Um, I'm a, I'm a sports writer. I can't afford your sport. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but that great could be a seats. whole other pod. Yeah, right. Um, and they won a hockey game. They won. They break it's a, 10, a ten or eleven. It was ten games. So it would have been eleven. I thought for sure. I thought you were going to be there for eleven, but you weren't. They won. Uh, so just for you, takeaways from from the Flyers game since you were said such wonderful seats and such a wonderful perspective. I can't believe the stadium was like 85% full or the arena, I should say, not stadium. Flyers fans are hardcore. And I think they're, uh, it's a fan base that has more season ticket holders than say conversely the Sixers or Phillies or maybe not more, but a higher percentage of the available capacity is season ticket holders. And they will watch slop hockey. Okay. Hockey, great hockey. You get more of the latter, the, the former of all those than, than the other ones, I think in Philadelphia as of late over the last 10 years. But it was fun atmosphere, and going to a hockey game, I think hockey's a better experience live than, you know, on TV. And I also think that this is a situation where this team, like, it just doesn't matter. It's not real contention. And anyone that wants to tank and just tear this shit down and be terrible so everyone can clear house, absolutely, completely get it. And mostly agree, but I do like going to a game, having some fun, having a cold one, hanging with your friends, your spouse, whoever – and watching a couple of fights and maybe watching a couple of goals and, you know, being a part of the atmosphere and getting that fill of those Philly vibes. I'm with you. I, I, I always enjoy going. That was actually my, my, me and one of my best friends actually share the same birthday and he had a hookup, still has a hookup for the place he works and he gets flyers tickets. And we, we used to go every year. It's a little different now that we all, you know, and it was one of my other best friends too. It's a little different. Now we all have kids. We all have adult things going on, but uh, hopefully we do that again this year because it is it's 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 a fun 
thing to be a part of. It is more fun when the team is good, but in a weird way, it's kind of fun when the team isn't that good because, like you said, you're not going in. Wasn't nervous going in. I didn't really right. give a shit what happened in the game, right? Even though, so like, kind of, you nice. know, Flyers when it's nice. Yeah, Flyers. It's always better when they win, but at the same time, when there's low expectations, it's kind of almost better in a weird way. Yeah, because yeah. you and I are weirdos, and we have weird anxiety when the teams are good, and we almost it's almost like an unenjoyable experience sometimes. <laughs> you just relieved if a team wins more so exactly. than excited. Yeah, exactly. That's no, yeah, no, I, I'm the type of person I am more relieved and they win than excited most. It's like that, that Eagles game. That's I 100 was just more relieved when I saw Aaron Rodgers was not coming back in. And then Christian, and then they scored that touchdown, and I was very, very, very worried from that point on. Um, but yeah, the other thing with the Flyers, I have to touch on, and it's a weird thing. And look, I, I know a lot of fans don't really give a shit about the whole media thing and media and coaches and the relationship. Go there. off. But I have to say, and I can see it a little bit from both sides, but I, I, I tend to 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 go more with the reporter side. Uh, uh, Olivia Renier and, and Gianna Han, who cover the Flyers for the Inquirer. There was a little bit of a back and forth between John Tortorella and Olivia. And quite frankly, I just think Tortorella could have handled it much, much better because I, it's like this. How many reporters travel for Flyers games right now? It's not just many. Them, Charlie? I, I, just them. Sometimes Charlie uh, from the, Charlie O'Connor from The Athletic. Sometimes Jordan Hall from NBC. Some like They'll occasionally travel, but the beats, like the true beats that actually travel to every game are, are the, uh, Olivia and Gianna. The, those those are the two that travel. So with that, if you're the Flyers, you want your coach to give them things, right? Because like you want your you want the interest to be there for the team. You want people traveling, right? Like you want people to be there. And the Inquirer yeah. is sending those people there. So when they ask legitimate questions... Your coach has to give them, uh, even if he just gets pissed off and is pissed off, whatever, he has to give them legitimate answers. And look, I I, I respect him. I respect Tortorella from this standpoint. Your team is banged up. You're clearly out of talent discrepancy, even when your team isn't banged up. So you don't want to kill these guys who you know are playing their asses off. Um, yeah. Even though, you know, they're getting their asses kicked. These guys, you know, a lot of them are young guys. They're just trying to make it in the in the league. And, and again, the talent discrepancy is obvious. I respect him going there. But then when the when you say at one point, well, I liked what I saw from our club. And then Olivia, a fair follow-up. Well, what did you like? And then for you to just be rude about it, quite frankly, and pretty condescending to say, oh, well, you watched the game. And, and well, no, like that's not what, yes, like, Clearly, Olivia watches the game and she has some thoughts and she has her opinions and she'll share them. But her job as a beat writer is to find out what you think. What did you see? That's the perspective she's trying to provide the fans is the perspective. What does the coach think? What do you think of your hockey team? I do have my opinion. I did watch the game. What did you think? What can you give to the fans? So I don't, that's what bothers me. And and I get it. And I know a lot of Flyers fans are so, like you said, it, it's a, it's a very devoted fan base and I respect the hell out of it. They show up no matter what the team is like, and they defend the team no matter what the team is like. And I respect that. But at the same time, this is a reporter trying to do her job. And the coach has got to meet her halfway. And it's, it's a give and take relationship. And if you're the Flyers, again, you should want people to cover the team. You should want people to have interest in the team. And so from that standpoint, you should want your coach to give 
the reporters that do show up that are professional that are asking legitimate questions, right? Like it's not like this. She was asking this leading thing or this like takey question, which I've heard plenty of them during Sixers press conferences. And I've understood why a Brett Brown or why a Doc Rivers gets pissed off at certain questions or sometimes I'm like, okay, I get it. Like I get why that question was maybe, you know, a little leading or whatever, or just wasn't a very, quite frankly, wasn't a very good question. I've asked questions that weren't very good, but when a reporter asks a question that's legitimate, that's fair, and you still don't give them a very good answer, I, I do take some issue with that. Hack, uh, golf club. Agree completely. And I try not to be like this douche media member exactly. or holier than come now that, that. Um, but I think there's has to be a baseline level of respect on both sides of the equation. And this is just like saying basic ass shit, and I get that. Um, you never really want to, especially if you're a beat writer there or there every day, you can't be just asking these, you know, trap friggin' questions or leading questions and things like that, trying to, you know, create a soundbite out of nothing from your own ideas and concepts. But uh, there's has to be a level of decorum there. And it's, it's even more magnified with the flyers, which I would say is the smallest of the four beats in town. I don't think it's particularly close. If you're only having a situation where you're only having two media members travel with the team everywhere, uh, I think it's at least four or five for the Phillies, and I would say those are those are the the next smaller region. And obviously, everyone goes to Eagles games all over in terms of media members. Obviously, the Eagles are different and stuff like that. But to disrespect there, I think is is blatant and yet all too predictable with John Twitterell, To be frank, yeah, it's disappointing, and it's to me this what this does too. This is a bad hockey team and it wasn't a well-constructed hockey team. And this is deflecting all of that away. And instead it's turning the Flyers fan base. It's basically turning them loose on reporters instead of the real issue, which is this is just not a good hockey team. And yeah. so the fans are turning their frustration and John Tortorella, quite frankly, is turning his frustration onto the reporters when that's not where the, that's not where the frustration should be placed. So um, yeah, I will get, off of my soapbox now and be done with that. And we'll talk about happier things, which is Trey Turner. Have you heard Seamus? Have you heard that the Phillies are going to get a shortstop? Have you heard this? Is this new to you? No, I don't even Uh, feel like talking about it anymore. Let's let's just hope next week when we talk, Trey Turner is already a Philly and we'll we'll have some new, we'll have some new shit to talk about line of construction, fun things like that. Yes. Let's let, I want to bitch. I want to bitch about that too. Cause I'm just going to bitch about everything on this podcast. No. um, It's so weird. We're getting like, the one thing when you're talking about the NFL, you're talking about the NBA, it just doesn't feel like there's an offseason in those sports, right? Like it just feels like it's just one thing after another, whether it's free agency, the draft, uh, you know, Correct. it's just never ends with, with baseball, which has the longest season by far. The offseason is boring. Cause like, it's just the same old recycled rumors over and over again. And the issue is, we know Trey Turner is not going to be a Philly next week. It's just not going to happen. That's just not the way these things work. Like he's not going to sign a contract until like right before spring training. So it's just, I, I don't know. It's just annoying to me that the baseball offseason just feels like it lags. And like, I, I, cause I, and it didn't used to be like this. I vividly remember Merry Christmas, like, right? Like the Philly signed Cliff, Cliff, Cliff Lee right around Christmas time. And yeah. it was wonderful. And we had all that. T- we were able to buy. Cliff Lee jerseys and jerseys for Christmas. And we were able to be excited about that for months before the spring training even started. And now it's like, you know, they signed Bryce Harper spring training had already started when they signed Bryce Harper. And it's yeah. It, it, last year with, with Schorber and Castellanos, it just ha- happened right before spring training started. So 
I just I have a little bit of a qualm with baseball there with that. And I just I, I wish that we would be talking about perhaps Trey Young being a Philly next week, but we know that's not gonna happen. It's annoying. That's all I got. I love it. <laughs> Hopefully, hope maybe, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I would please prove me wrong, Philly. Sign Trey Turner in the next give week. us some Phillies content, Dave. Yeah, something. Or just like a new rumor. Like I, I know, okay, you're gonna sign a shortstop. Cool. Any starting pitchers that are piquing your interest? Any relievers that might be out there? Any trades that could happen? Uh, I was surprised Jose Abreu goes to the the Astros. I guess that was a pretty early signing that was big and a little bit surprising. Do the White Sox need a DH first baseman, perhaps? And do they have a, a reliever or starting pitcher that could interest the Phillies? I don't know. Uh, I saw someone pose the idea of like Tim Anderson, which I don't know why on earth the White Sox would give up Tim Anderson. He is like one of my favorite players. He is a whole lot of fun. But anyway... Hopefully we're re- recapping a big Eagles win next week. Hopefully the Sixers keep it rolling and we're recapping James Harden's return to the lineup next Tuesday, um, which obviously, you know, our fault that we're doing this on a Wednesday. It is what it is. We, we appreciate everyone tuning in, even though it was on an off day to the Thirsty Dogs Drink Faster podcast. Please rate, download, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. I am Paul Hudrick for Seamus Clancy. We will talk to you all next week.